Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 3 Internet Module. What episode? I shouldn't even <laughs> I shouldn't have even told you that I was doing a new intro. It's such an underwhelming new intro. All I'm doing is not saying the episode number. And here we are. Maybe episode 9. Although you didn't want to count Mount Chicago and the Adam Levin interview. So maybe it's episode 7. I don't know. No one cares. Yeah. People only care that this happens. Mm-hmm. That there's unnecessary explanation of this bullshit. All right, all right, Joey's angry at me. I'm not angry. We we start the podcast. I try, I'm trying to get him get him hot so that he he comes in with his takes on Jordan Castro's novel, The Novelist. That's what we're talking about today, Bob. What is the no? Oh, yeah, sure, go with it. You're Bob. Yeah, don't you know what is the novelist about, and then what is it about? I'm not. Yeah, you like I that don't. I, yeah, but I, I you you trick me into doing this every week. How about you do it this time? It's about a guy trying to put off writing his novel. Okay, that's pretty good. Over the course of three hours-ish. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good description. But it's really about how the internet prevents us from doing anything meaningful or successful or accomplish anything if we let if we fall into its traps. Mm, okay, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's not that's not my take on it. I actually think that the inner the internet is uh, pretty secondary in 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 this book i mean obviously like you know it's it's using the internet as a contemporary uh cipher for the for like the way that we think it's decoding the way that we like yeah process everything and and how we put off things because this is um well do you relate to this stuff how do you what when you wake up what's your routine in the morning i start working immediately uh i i basically come down i check my like book my folder of bookmarks of like websites and news and social media and whatever but i don't go like in this novel he goes from twitter to instagram to twitter to instagram to twitter to instagram to his phone to twitter to whatever i don't do that like i just check it once and then i like start working my job and then once i finish like that initial wave of work then i can like take a break and like do whatever i have a little bit of downtime uh but I, i think that i have more of a structure than being a writer and being like well I have no accountability other than my own self that if I don't write a thing today, no one's going to be upset about it other right. than me. And maybe like if you have a book deal, well, it doesn't sound like it's a book deal. Like it's not like a publisher who's like breathing down his neck. It's just like, he's trying to write a thing. So if he right. doesn't step up and do the work, no one's going to stop him. Well, yeah, I think, um, I think the case is that with most writers who are, uh, successful, prolific, etc., they treat writing like it's labor, right? They, they, they do what you do, which is they get up and, they put in the hours and mm-hmm. then it's like a, a almost like a day job. Um, I think probably that is easier if you have a book deal. It's easier if you get a bunch of money. But, you know, something something that uh, Levin talked about in the interview with him was that writers are, are often resistant to discussing their process yeah. or, or lie about their process. So I don't I don't even know if that's if that's true. Maybe yeah. maybe what most people do is when they try to write, they actually are just spending the day putting off writing. I also feel like there's probably, I know, just know from other sort of like creative endeavors or whatever, that some days you're going to feel inspired and some days you're not going to feel inspired. Um, some days you're going to like, if you're, if your goal is a thousand words a day or whatever, some days you're going to write like 5,000 words. It's going to like flow out of you. And some days you're not going to be able to write anything and just be mad the entire time. Yeah. 5,000 word day would be absolutely bonkers. Um, I'm just saying numbers. I don't know. I'm not a writer. But like, uh, like Stendhal said, who? Sten- Stendhal, author, Who? Wrote Red in the Black. Twenty lines a day, genius or not? 
every day, get down there, do the work, write 20 lines a day, which doesn't seem like much. But at the same time, if you accumulate it, like if sure. you, like every day, if you do the work, it's like, you know, it, that's just writing a page every three days. If you write a page every three days, then you have a novel by the end of a couple of years. That's not bad. Not bad at all. And I also think that like, so the Jordan Castro who, so there, I guess there's two Jordan Castros at play here. Mm-hmm. There's the actual writer of the novelist. Yes. And then within the world where we have an unnamed narrator, there is a Jordan Castro who's this like lightning rod on social media who is a successful novelist. Who the who the narrator admires very much. But doesn't follow because he's afraid of like being canceled for liking this guy basically. Yeah, which is uh and and, and that Jordan Castro I, I, in in I, world in, in the in world Jordan Castro. I don't know that much about Jordan Castro. Uh, personally, I don't. I, I I don't know his work. I don't follow him on social media because I don't have social media. Really, I don't. Uh, he's a guy that I don't. I don't know much about. But I do know that this is his first novel. Right. So, the in world Jordan Castro is a fictional Jordan Castro. He has multiple novels that, like one of which is a novel about amateur bodybuilding that gets referred to in in uh, the literature community as body fascism. Um, and they're very, they, they seem to have lumped him into this like sort of alt-right category where we, alt-right category of writers who is doing things and and telling stories and the characters in his novels have opinions that are not socially acceptable to the online left. Yep. Um, which is, you know, a legitimate criticism of the way that novels get critiqued now, which is that, a lot of times novels are critiqued not for their character development not for their not not they don't treat the novels as though they're novels they don't get uh they don't get evaluated through their aesthetics but they get evaluated through the social values that they seem to be proponents of which as jordan castro this can get confusing the way that we're the way that we're saying. Should we this. change one of their names for the purpose of the conversation? No, 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 no. I like I like I like how it can get confusing because the confusion is sort of the fun here. Um, the narrator like is is uh, condemning that and seems very concerned with with literature turning in that in that direction um, away from aesthetics and towards this sort of social grace, this idea of social grace. Because he also like so he's writing a novel in the novel he he's trying to work on this thing and he's it's he's struggling but then like a, a novel begins to like just sort of pour out of him when he starts writing a woodcutter's ass we keeps referring to this as woodcutter's ass novel where he's just taking down this former kind of friend of his eric and it feels like that's the kind of thing that would get that would gain traction one way or the other on social media where he's just like the entire point of this novel is just like eric sucks and like he's and just shit talking this kid yeah it's the sort of political idea that will um if you write that kind of novel the truth i th- i think this is i think this is the truth there's a writer called michelle hollebeck that i that i'm not really crazy about a lot of people really love him i i think that his prose is like incredibly pedestrian i and and i think that he's like uh not all that creative to be honest but he is like a political lightning rod and i think people both hate him because of his politics and i think people love him because of his politics and i don't really think that he's worthy of that love or that hate but i think he gets like propped up by both sides because they they are interested in his politics rather than in, in interested in him as a novelist interested in his aesthetics right um and i think that there's a way to do that and that seems like what this Eric book would be because there's a lot of people there's like a market in denouncing that kind of person and there's also a market in 
being that kind of person, right? Because I think the other thing, like this whole season of internet modules, we talked about this in a couple different episodes, even in the intro episode, is a by nature more modern season in terms of yeah, topics and right, themes. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, but this is also the most recent. Like this book just came out, like as this episode comes out, like two or three months ago. Like it's well, that's and that happened with the shore as well. Yes, and it's also with Mount Chicago. So um, I think what's interesting about this, the reason I bring this up here, is because Jordan Castro is his first novel. The author of this is it's his first novel, but he's written two books of poetry before, and he used to edit for New York Tyrant magazine. So he has grown up, and in the in the in the acknowledgments at the end, like he thanks Taolin and Megan Boyle and Gian, like all these people who like grew up in this kind of like, or created or founded or a big part of this, like kind of alt lit quote unquote alt lit right. <laughs> a, a term that is very like much despised. But I think that's like what's, what's sort of the interesting perspective is that he's criticizing a thing that like he sort of came from within, like he's not came from within, but like is well acquainted with, I think. What do you think he's criticizing about that? Well, I don't think he's criticizing. I think just like, I think the, what, I guess a better way to say it is the he's commenting on the what you were saying before the modern social discourse around literature. Yeah, I would say because I feel like New York Tyrant and stuff like that is more with it than like a traditional big five publisher I, or whatever. Yeah, I, I would say that he they fall into that realm of 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 aesthetics rather than social graces. I don't. I, I think that. I don't think there's any like contradiction with within that. Like the aesthetics of things like New York Tyrant uh, does preference. Um, I, I I I'm gonna keep repeating the word aesthetics, but it it does it, it preferences the art over the social value of that art. With that in mind, or with that said, like I did not, I did not like this novel very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because like I, I understand what it's going for, or at least one of the things it's going for. Um, but I didn't need to read a novel to know that like social media addiction is a thing. It also it feels bad to read it because okay. I feel like when it reminds me of times where like I'm it's mostly it's usually when I'm drained like after I've done a thing and just want to sit on the couch and just sort of decompress. But I'm like go, I'm cycling between two or three bookmarks. I'm like I just checked this. There's not there's nothing new here. Yeah. And I feel like I don't need to be reminded that that is a trap that like I definitely fall into less frequently than other people, but like I still fall victim to. Well, I think I think the the social media aspect of it is more about medium than it is about the thing itself, right? It's more about how those things dictate our thoughts. And like it's not it, it, it is about the switching back and forth between Instagram opening Twitter and closing Twitter and opening Instagram and closing. But like I think I think the more important thing in this novel is the like not wanting to follow someone on Twitter because you might get Right, tarred by tarred and feathered by people that like are not actually genuinely engaging with that person's work, but are taking some sort of face value criticisms from from people who uh, are not necessarily even interested in uh, reading it, but but are more interested in the like social points that they can get from dissing something. And I think that's an interesting thing to examine and write about and discuss. But then I also get I find myself frustrated with like dozens of pages about steeping tea or uh, yeah, another novel this season about shitting <laughs> well I, I i have no criticisms about that I, I like that's my some of my favorite stuff in the book i get what it's doing but i just didn't enjoy the actual physical process of reading this yeah i think that's fine but like i you, you know you know my my position on enjoying literature which is that you don't have to it's not like right. re- reading is not necessarily about enjoying it's about like uh, be giving giving uh, a voice to uh, emotions or thoughts that that you have while reading something. 
So you like this? I, I know that you like this more than I did. Would you say that you like loved this novel, or you just you like? I don't know. I mean, I, I you did know. Did you enjoy reading, it or it's not again that was? Yeah, the point. no, I did. Okay. I, I, I did. I did enjoy reading it. I thought it was uh, more than anything else a smart novel. But it also, it, it, it I, I think it's a novel that is uh, kind of cold because I think it is like an incredibly analytical novel that's doing like metafictional twisty stuff that that like has you more contemplating the the mirror of uh the character's relationship to to doubling and to his own work and to his the author's commentary on the author's double within the novel and it has me thinking more about real world stuff than it has me thinking about the con the the, the like construct of the emotional stakes within the novel itself of which i think aren't not many, right? It's a very like uh, Brechtian idea of calling attention to the fact that we're here inside of a novel because the world itself is uncapturable. Uh, and because there's that distance, I mean, you, I, I, I get the criticism of most postmodernism, right? Is that it is emotionally cold because you're setting up all of these aesthetic walls. And so there's no real emotional hook to this novel for me. It doesn't, it doesn't make me uh, relate on any level beyond an analytical one. Well, so, th- think, so there's my criticism of it. I think, cause I think in tradition, like, what's interesting and what I think you probably like about it, I would imagine is that I think in traditional narrative, a character is either something happens to a character or they're introduced to a new situation. And like, that's what the, the narrative follows. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's a new kid at school and we're going to follow him. Or like, you're following kids who are already there. And like, the yeah, new yeah. Kid shows and up or whatever. That kid's a vampire, but he can be in the sun right. and there's glitter on him. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he's like, your blood, it's pure heroin to me. And started out as like, a, and, then, and then it becomes like fan fiction. So like 50 shades yeah, of gray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then you, and then those movies get made and then you have all of a sudden Jamie Dornan's a big star. And it's like, what's going on here? And what was he just in? I feel like we just talked about it, or he's going to be in something. I don't know. I know what it is, but I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to talk about that stuff on the podcast. I can't place it. <laughs> anyway, what is, I think, interesting or novel <laughs> uh, about this is that, like... This Cut just... that out. <laughs> edit, edit that joke out to save yourself the embarrassment. <laughs> Bob prefaces this, don't edit these episodes anymore, don't cut anything out, unless we say something <laughs> offensive, except for that bad joke. Cut that out. Um, yeah, I don't actually expect well, you to cut that out, because then then you would lose like the humor of me yelling at you and telling you to cut it out. I want you to cut... In- Look, okay, here's my dictates for editing this podcast. Include, never edit anything out where I am yelling at you. <laughs> if, if like I'm calling you a name or being mean to you, put it in there, because I want the world to know that I'm a bully Bob has so many demands for a project that he does far less work than I do. <laughs> While you're doing yeah, okay. 100% of the editing, pay attention to uh-huh. these 10 steps. Yeah. I'll put it in writing for you. Okay. Um, but what I think is novel about the novel... <laughs> he went back to it! Is that it's just a morning for this dude. Like, this is probably how he spends every morning. Yeah. And so there's something interesting in how banal that is mm-hmm. that it's not like it's a morning where like he takes his dog for a walk and the dog runs away or his girlfriend breaks up with him or something happens or he gets a bad email that he gets fired or he wins the lottery or whatever just like right. he got up to write he didn't write he woke yeah. up his girlfriend took the dog out for a walk end of the story yeah there's no violence there's no sex there's no uh there's nothing that really would make it into a a, a uh, compulsive read for someone that 
you know, the things that we traditionally go to narrative fiction for. Yep. Um, because it's it it does like this maximalist thing of of really going into the details about the tea and really going into the details about which I was very bored by. Okay, let's 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 analyze. Like, why do you think he's going into those details? I think the way that I perceived it was him writing about it reflected the narrator's thought process of like, look, I'm having a productive morning. I'm baking tea. I might not yeah, be writing, yeah, yeah. and it's just like by writing about it. That lets the novelist, Jordan Castro, keep his unnamed narrator away from his computer. Because if he sits down on his computer, he has to, like, eventually write a thing. Mm-hmm. But if he's just, like, if this guy is, like, so, like, about the tea and about the yerba mate and about the coffee and about the whatever and just all this different stuff, then he's – it's propelling the narrative to a certain – in a certain sense. Yeah. But it's also not accomplishing anything and, like, he's still back where he was – where he started. Because I think the whole, like – not the point of it, but, like, the – Part of the point of it is, like, he's, he ends up where he begins. Like, he's got no words really accomplished. Like, he writes another thing, but, like, that's not a thing that is probably going to see the light of day or, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. he's running in place, and this adds... It also, in some ways, takes opportunities to draw us back into the narrative, not only of the novel that the character's writing, but of that narrator's specific past, because the novel that he's writing is this autobiographical novel. So, so like, when he's writing about the tea and talking about how it has, like, a, a low-level MDMA-style effect on him, it reminds us that he, not only is this character a person who's writing a quote-unquote drug novel, but he lived a quote-unquote drug life before the content of this novel, mm-hmm. which is now, like, living a relatively comfortable recovered from drugs life where he's making tea in the morning and walking his dog and and at the computer uh cycling through all this social media and 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 writing novels like the stakes of this novel are significantly less than the stakes of the narrator's life but you still have things in here where even though or the stakes of his like previous life but you still have things in this novel where even though he has lived that previous life where he was withdrawing from heroin and uh, involved in, in uh, he went to prison, right? That's something that, that happens. I think so. Um, and, and, but he's still like, when he's not doing his novel correctly, there are parts where he's like, I should just kill myself. I mm-hmm. should kill myself. Cause you know, it's it, the, the stakes are the same as they were in the past to him. It just doesn't, you know, as readers, we don't necessarily see that, but emotionally, it's it's on the same level. Right. Life is life or death for him yeah. in whatever he's doing, whether it's big or small. I did like the – I think it, it, when he's talking about the – it might be around the T. It might be around the, like, drug element of it all or just in thinking about his novel. I like that it transitioned into talking about um, point of view in writing because that's something yeah, we yeah, always yeah. talk about that I never understand yeah. and never can articulate. And he's talking about how, right. like – no one writes in first person present except for Brett Easton Ellis and like because nobody else can do it well and all this different stuff. And I'm just like that's an interesting like I think another way for the, the narrator to distract himself from actually writing is like to analyze what he has actually already written mm-hmm. and like second guess himself and whatever. But I think it's again something that we've talked about. A novelist that you and I have read everything he's written. Yeah. Me because you were like, you should probably read this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that was of particular note to this podcast and to, you know, our collective relationship to, like, the things that we're reading. Yeah, and it's in, it's interesting because um, his observations about about those, uh, the tense and the, and the person, are, um, I think, really smart, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I was also trying to think of third-person present tense novels, 
and I couldn't. I'm sure if I like went through my books and really thought about it, I could. But it's like when I reflect on books, that's not something that I immediately think of, although it definitely impacts the way that you read something. Like I, I can think of like the second person books that I've read, like Bright Lights, Big City or First Person Present Tense, obviously less than zero. Or I think every Brady Snellis book up until... Lunar Park, I think, is first person present tense. So first person then, present is like I go to the store. Yeah. Second person is you go to the store. Uh huh. Third person is Bob goes to the store. Yeah. And then past tense. Have I, has anything been written in future tense? Uh yeah, I'm sure. Um, Some probably experimental weird. Nonsense, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure, I'm sure. It like has. it seems doable. It just seems. But it's also the, the kind of thing where like he's having all these like what he I think he is perceiving as like revelations about like what's wrong with the thing he's written. He's like, maybe I change the tense. He just starts changing it. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. This is terrible. It's worse than it was. And so I think there is like, there's some, there's value, I think in identifying or having the wherewithal to analyze something that like you're saying is obvious and overt and apparent, but like, isn't necessarily top of mind when reading or writing. Well, he's also, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good observation that, uh, past tense drug novels, especially ones that are autobiographical, lack tension because you are aware of the outcome because the narrator is narrating, well, and that's something narrating that, you know, past tense. As right? we record this, like Better Call Saul is wrapping up and like it now jumped ahead in its final episodes. But like for a certain amount of time, like most of that series is a prequel. And it's just like, in a way, every drug memoir is a prequel where it's like, and they don't die. Like, there's, like, all this tension, like, oh, my God, like, what's going to happen here? But, like, you know the guy lives. Like, you know Saul doesn't die yeah. in the days leading up to Breaking Bad because, like, he was on Breaking Bad. So right. it's, like, the same kind of thing where it's, like, you can create tension, you can create whatever, but there's also, like, a – if you think about it, like, if you, if you were – I guess if you remove yourself, if you're not enraptured by the thing or whatever, you're like, oh, wait, this is – It's interesting and, and tragic when that's, like, not true. For example, like, I read – uh, Scott Weiland from the Stone Temple Pilots memoir, and like a part of that book is about him getting off drugs, and it's like like that is in 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 some sense a drug novel, and then years later, of course, he dies from an overdose, and you're just like, oh, like he was, right? I mean, I don't think he was lying in that novel that he overcame these things. It's just like it's a perpetual struggle. So you know, maybe there still is tension if you're talking in past tense. It's just not tension that exists within the borders of the novel, right? Yeah, which I think is like kind of what, at least what I focus on when reading a thing. It's like, I'm not thinking about, like, what's going to happen next until I finish the thing. Like, when I'm in the thing, I just care about the thing itself. Yeah, it's really interesting. There, there's a uh, uh, Martin Amos short story called The Last Days of Muhammad Atta. That's like a time arrow or whatever? Yeah, time's arrow. Time's arrow. Um, he, and, and The Last Days of Muhammad Atta was one of the hijackers that flew a plane into the World Trade Center, allegedly. Um... But he, uh, you know, and and the story ends before the plane hits. And, like, something that's interesting about that is is that, like, Amos is using our collective memory sure. of, of what that looks like to, ha to, to like, you know, they, they say, show, don't tell. And it's like, he's doing neither in that case because he's, like, using new media to 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 fill in the blanks and and like allow our memories to to use that imagery so um this doesn't really have anything to do with the jordan castro novel but it's like an interesting uh way to no, but i think to, the point i think this novel like is about dissecting the writing of novels 
Yeah, kind of. Par- partially. Yeah. And I and, and again, I think it's also about the ways that our thought processes are influenced by current trends and by the people around us and by by everything. Like something that's really fascinating to me is the thing that spurs the Eric thing um, when he wants to write his woodcutter's novel where he's just talking shit about his friend Eric um, is a post that Eric writes about how he's like, we have the perfect number of kids now. Nobody have any more kids. Uh, I love all my friends' kids that we have, but no new kids because the the amount that we have is perfect. Which is, cl- if I read that, I would, it's a joke, right? Right, and I I, I wouldn't look at it, and th- even if that were someone that I knew and that I didn't like, I would probably give them the benefit of the doubt as a joke. But like, he doesn't read it as a joke, so he thinks he's subtweeting him. Yeah, he thinks that Eric is subtweeting right, the narrator, which sounds like. And even in the context of this novel sounds paranoiac to me. Right. So, like, to me, there's also this innate criticism of the narrator where he's like, he's flying off the handle on this thing to say all these things that he wants to say because he has these political opinions that are also curated and influenced by all that stuff that happens around him that are, they might not be like the quote unquote popular opinions, but they're popular just in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. Right. There, there's like a, you know, an entire group of people on the internet that are very like intimidating and, and, and they're mean and they have all these opinions and it's like, they are, uh, uh, frowned upon by ma- the mainstream and by mainstream leftists, but there are people who want to curry favor with those people yeah. and whose opinions are very much influenced by those people and who, like, uh, you know, their day to day lives and opinions are just as inauthentic because they're they're sort of trying to curry favor with that group. And so, like, it's an to me this is an interesting critique of also that kind of thing, which is like, and it's both ways. Right. I like I have no idea what Jordan Castro, Jordan Castro, real life Jordan Castro's opinion about all this stuff is, which is like really good, I think, because it's like that. that's like part of what the novel is. Because you can read it either way, kind of. Right. Yeah. And, that, yeah. And, and, and like I think that's part of what the novel is saying, which it's, it's saying like, first of all, I said that those people were scary before. I don't think those people are scary. I'm not intimidated by those people. Fuck those people. Um, I, I, I mean, in a broader sense. Um, but like part of what like he's. <laughs> Did you say, was that a hiccup? No, I was kind of laughing. It's just like a dumb laugh that you like feeling the need. Like this podcast exists it, behind a shroud of secrecy. Like you're not even using your name anymore. And yet you're like, I can't, I can't let people think I'm scared of these fucking guys. Yeah, right. The dumb yeah, yeah, yeah. bravado yeah, behind right. the meta. Yeah. Mm, boy. I'm, 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 a, I'm like a deeply cowardly person but, but like at the same time i'm like like drop your location I'll, like i'll come i'll fight you anywhere it's on site I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid also do not use my name i'm terrified but I started laughing because I thought that was a hiccup that you just did into the microphone. No, it's just me laughing. It's just me, like, it took me a second to realize <laughs> how fucking insane all of that was. Yeah, yeah. You stopping yeah. yourself. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a deeply stupid person. <laughs> uh, what, wait, uh, uh, okay, so 
not knowing what Jordan Castro, the the author of this book, what his opinion actually is, I think is is key because like one of the subjects of this book. Am I yelling into the microphone? No, I'm just trying to balance you. If, okay. if, you, if you comment on it and you change your volume when you see me, keep talking as you're talking, and I'm gonna ride the levels. <laughs> I fucked everything up so badly. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. I'm also sweating so much right now because I think I'm like in the middle of having a panic attack, kind of. It's all right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. Um. Ahem, ahem. Uh. 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 Do re mi fa so la ti do. Uh. Okay. The the Jordan Castro who wrote this novel. Um. As much as he might be like kind of a public persona, I don't know. He might have a Twitter that has a million followers. He might be someone who people... he's like he's like two thousand followers. Like he's he's like he's more than me. But like he, like I I reached out to him for this and he didn't not get back to us. But like he's like he's public. You can find him, but he's not like a, a celebrity. Right. Okay. In, interesting. Like th- there is something about him, me not knowing his real opinions about things, which is really valuable. It's really valuable to novelists in general to not know their real opinions about things because then you can critique their novel on an aesthetic level. It's it's so much better than having to interpret these these uh, stuff through the lens of what I know that person's real opinion is. Like if if every novelist were completely anonymous, the art of 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 writing novels would would be significantly. Uh, expanded, I think. Well, something we talked about on the Mount Chicago episode where you're talking about, like, the anti-Semitic jokes and stuff and, like, the... Or not anti... No, no. It was about the anti-cancel culture, anti-woke people. And yeah, like, sort of... I don't know how he feels about this. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, the satire but, of social But we talked about justice. how... We keep referencing this because that was the last episode we recorded because it took longer to read whatever. So that's why yeah. it's like, this episode mm-hmm. came out five weeks ago. All right. Anyway. Um, we were talking about on that episode the more you read from Adam Levin, like the more you have a sense of like, I, I don't know exactly how he feels, but like you kind of feel like you do. And so if this is the first, if this is your first and my first introduction, to Jordan Castro, he could be a lunatic. He could be like a, a MAGA guy. He could be like yeah. the, the leftist hippie. Like you have no idea. And so like, I think there's something in that regard, exciting about the prospect of like, like I had a friend who dated a girl who told me, I think I probably told you something like this is insane. She would never read a second novel by an author. And she never explained why. I'm like, that's crazy. So I'm like, you could yeah. read your favorite book you've ever read. You wouldn't read something else. She's like, no. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that feels that it's feel, weird. Yeah. But I think in this one particular way, there's something exciting. Like, you're still going to know. Like, even if you haven't read like a Stephen King book, you kind of know about Stephen King. Mm-hmm. But someone like Jordan Castro, who's like, this is a first novel or whatever, the limitless possibilities of what he could think about things is kind of exciting in a way that like it lets the art stand on its own. It is, yeah, because the art the art should stand on its own, right? Like, I, and that's like you know we we can. It's it's new criticism, right? Which is you know the text exists within within the two covers, and there are flaws in in, in new criticism because it doesn't take into per, in in it doesn't take a lot of different worldviews into perspective. It doesn't it doesn't take into it doesn't. There's a lot of stuff that it doesn't take into perspective, but there is like a great value to being able to view something through to, to, to having the facility to view a text through a new criticism perspective where you're just looking at what happens between the pages. And when you have a novelist that exists beyond your cultural recognition, beyond s- someone that you don't know personally, you don't you've never read anything else by them. You don't know what the online hype is about them. Um, 
you can view that novel from fresh eyes. And like some of this, that's what some of this book is about. It's about the ability to look at things through fresh eyes and, and avoid the, the almost dictatorial thought process that happens once something enters a hype machine. Yeah. Right. Like if you, like you, you know, once a, once a movie comes out, this happens to me sometimes too, and I'm not I'm not proud of it. But like sometimes, if something if a movie if everyone's talking about how a movie is like unbe- unbelievably good before it comes out, I will like before seeing it be like I fucking know that that movie's not going to be that good, right? And, and I'll go see it with like an extra hyper critical eye, right. and there that's like a, a it, it would be so much better to just enter that process with a uh, with an ability to to go like. Yeah, this is this is like well, that's why I try new. to not watch trailers, not read things ahead of time, and sort of like as into the culture of like film and TV as I am in terms of like as a fan, not as a creator. But like, I try not to read reviews. Like, I I, I find it hard to avoid like a Metacritic score or like general buzz or headlines or whatever. But like, yeah. other than that, like I'm trying to go in as blind as I can because I want the art to stand for itself. I, I don't want to like I'm gonna have preconceived notions of like oh i like this director i like this actor right, I'm, sure i'm you know for a podcast that we're doing like a, an actor podcast or whatever like i'm looking i'm gonna enjoy that movie more or less based on like how that actor is in the movie even independent like there's all these like weird kind of biases that mm-hmm, you go into mm-hmm, a thing mm-hmm. with but like which is inevitable i yeah, that's something you can't you can't I think, avoid I think it does suck if you're like this is gonna be everybody says it's great and they go in there one way or the other like either like i'm gonna love this movie or i'm gonna hate this movie yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna the the inability to sort of think for yourself one way or the other I do. There is some like I, I have found uh, like in in the exact opposite way that we're talking about this now. I have found great joy in contrarian opinions that I've had. Yeah. Like the the uh, the big example for me is the counselor, the Ridley Scott, Corn McCarthy. You're the only person who likes that. Movie. I fucking I think it's great. I think it's a great movie. Right. I, I think it's like I love it. And uh, people hate that movie. And I'm just like. Me against the world, baby. I, I, I like. I don't know. Like, part of what I like about that movie is, I mean, it's it's almost become a narrative within my own head that like I like this movie because nobody else likes it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like I I think I think I'd like it anyway. I mean, I don't think I'm shallow. I I, I don't think I'm as shallow as that. Because you're definitely shallow. Yeah. Well, you know, sure. I think. Yeah, I'll cop to it. There, there, I, I think I think there's also something that like our friend Matt. We might call him about this cover. Who knows? He might actually, 5 o'clock on a Friday? Maybe. Who knows? Um, but, like, other people, I think there's, like, this, you know, I just watched The Gray Man on Netflix, which is, admittedly, not a great movie. But people are like, this is bullshit. This movie sucks. This is what's everything that's wrong. So I'm just like, it's a dumb action. Like, what do you want? Well, they're like, also, yeah, it's because they're criticizing things from the perspective of streaming occupying a significant space in the overall budget of blockbusters. Yes. They're they're criticizing it from being from it being a Russo Brothers movie. They're criticizing it being a movie that spent a hundred and sixty million dollar budget or something. Probably more than that. I think it was two hundred. Um and and like there's all of these like yeah. things that exist beyond that that they're just like disgusted by the capitalist process of it. Which I am too, frankly. Right. But like, it's you're it's not, not criticizing this, it, the aesthetics. It's not this one movie's fault. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the machine yeah. that does the thing. And to be fair, also the aesthetics of the Gray Man are also pretty appalling. But but Ryan Gosling, super and, charming. Well, in it. well they, there's some fun to be had yeah. with the, that kind of explodey punch em up movie for sure. One thing I liked about this novel that we did not talk about, I don't think specifically, is 
one thing I think he gets right is, again, it's the online kind of hive mind where a couple times in this, the narrator brings up a thing he has not actually done or finished and has a very strong opinion about it. He like, he's like, this reminds me of the beginning of Blue Velvet. I didn't see the whole movie, but the movie sucks. And like, I got mad. I'm just like, fuck you. No, it doesn't. But also like, it's the same kind of thing where just like, he talks about these books that he hasn't read, but he has opinions about, or whatever. He's just like, he does the whole, like, it's it's different, but in that ballpark where he's like, I copied, you know, I don't remember which Ellis book, from start to finish, like American Psycho or whatever. I, I rewrote the entire thing just to get a sense of what it was like. And it's like, no, you didn't. You're full of shit. You suck. Like, this is, this is all just like the same kind of thing where it's like, it's a very specific type of online behavior that I personally find very irritating. Like, just people with like these very strong opinions. Like, I watched the first 15 minutes of The Gray Man, thought it sucked. I'm just like, you watched like 10% of the movie. Like you can't have an opinion about the whole thing and not just to bring it back to the gray man, but just it's yeah, the whole a gray thing. man podcast. It's now. a gray man podcast. It's, it's the thing where it's like people just like having strong opinions about things, even when they don't have to. Yeah. I don't, I, I think that that's probably exacerbated by online culture. Absolutely. Which I think he gets right. I think that's what is very act spot on. about. Yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out if that existed pre online culture. Um, I think it probably did because that it was that, probably that, just harder to come across. Well, but that's a huge part of like uh, sort of punk ethos, right? It's like when I was this is like generally pre online culture. When I was a kid, I was like, you know, an unhappy young skateboarding punk uh, shreds. Hell yeah, um, mm-hmm. and like I was I hate, like hated Britney Spears, right? Because it's like. That is that shit is for girls. Yep. Like it's it's like this like proto misogyny, not not even proto misogyny. It's just, it's just misogyny, right? It, like that shit is for girls, and it sucks, and it's prepackaged, and it is soul crushing. There's nothing. There's no talent involved in it. Blah blah blah. And like that's which is not objectively untrue. I, well, but I it's still not fair. I, yeah, I still stand by about half of that, but I also like. It's also a mean-spirited, weird opinion to have that is, like, not earned by, a, by mm-hmm. like, a 15-year-old or whatever, whenever that came. I think I was 15 when—, when It was, like, 98-ish. What was that? that yeah, 15, it was yeah. 15, yeah. You know, and I was, like, taking my cues from older people, old, yep. older people who, like, I, like, probably assumed that Steve Albini hated Britney Spears. And, and I just, like— You know, and now now I can—if I, I if I hear— uh, uh, toxic no 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 what's the what's the song that she started with the oh maybe one more time yeah yeah it's like that's that's a solid pop song yeah right it's not it's not michael jackson it's not madonna but it's like that's a solid pop song right which is also look like that is also me turning with the 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 times because people have now reevaluated britney and the like punks that used to hate britney like me no i mean you know whatever uh i hesitate to call myself a punk now but like uh, no longer they, they've reevaluated her, and so like I'm just riding the crest of a wave that that is like part of pop culture opinion anyway. Well, I think I had that sort of realization about a different thing. I think I've mentioned this before, either on this podcast or just talking to you in general. But when I was growing up, I had two friends who both hated Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and yeah. they never really gave a reason why, mm-hmm. other than maybe they're just like he wins all the time; it's boring. But because I, like, wanted to, like, be like, oh, yeah, I'm like you guys. I don't like him either. After he retired, I'm like, why didn't I appreciate the greatest <laughs> basketball player to ever live? Right. And yeah. that's why I think there's something – and I think that that sort of colors a lot of how I try to see things where, like, 
whether it's about like other people's like players in their fantasy baseball, like I think like baseball is more interesting if guys are healthy and doing well. Like I don't want to see a guy get hurt just because like my opponent has him or he's on the Mets or what. You know what I mean? I don't I don't want that. Like I want everybody to, like I want to win or I want the Yankees to win or whatever because of like their own values or own whatever. The same thing with like art. Like I don't want to like just hate things because like it's cool to hate them or because my friends hate them. Just like if I think it sucks, then I'll maybe I'll hate it. But like yeah. I don't want to judge things. I don't want to be like this like come off just like to have a hot take to have a hot take like it just that's you don't get anything out of that it's boring i think that's true yeah you have anything else oh you want to talk about freud uh yeah i do um well let's talk about the shitting in the novel right how would you characterize the shitting in this novel i just i i think i don't really have ways to i, I don't have like use use the 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 dnd scale right there's some like chaotic good shitting <laughs> Well, I just think that it was, like, the entire time of the reading the shooting, I don't even think I was, like, thinking about it because I was just, like, we just spent, like, 70 pages in Mount Chicago talking about shit. Yeah. It was just, like, just the fact that it was in here was, like, all I could think about. Like, again, another Okay, narrative. so you were doing, like, intertextual. Yeah. You, you, I wasn't you, actually you, you analyzing were... this. I was sort of being, like, I can't believe we're here again. We're back in the bathroom. That's the new name of the podcast. How to win the lottery and back in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I I thought a lot about the shitting in the novel. Because, like, the shitting that takes place in the novelist's novel, the which is the novel within the novel. Yeah. Right? Um, like, functions as part of drug withdrawal, which, like, especially in the case of alcohol, opiates, and, and uh, uh, some benzos, returns the user to an infantile state of need where, like, shitting itself is traumatizing because it's compulsive and lacks any sort of control. Like, he talks about, like, spraying flex on the banister of the thing. Um, yeah, like, tumbling down and, like, shitting his pants as he's falling down the banister. Yeah, and, that, and then, like, uncontrollably shitting himself in the shower uh, is another example. And that, like, contrasts directly with the controlled and clean shits that the present-day novelist has, right? Where he's, like, folding the he's square... He's prone, yeah. Yeah, he's, like, folding the square right. paper, and he, he's, like, obsessed with doing, like, a clean but shit. That's also, like, that's, again, the control thing, because he, like, he thinks he has a clean drop, and then he, like, folds again the wipes just to be safe, and, like, he's like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah. Or his, like, paranoia about, like, why is the right half of my asshole dirtier? Which is like, oh, because that's where I put pressure. Like, uh-huh. just, and, he, and he's, like, trying yeah. to... He's also trying to take control of it by, like, analyzing the ideas about... um like what what kind of food you intake determines what kind of shit. That's pretty funny. What, what what kind of shits you do because I think that stuff too all the time. Um, My where I've landed on that too. Yeah. Not about healthy food or unhealthy food. I think it's just like if you eat the same thing all the time, your body figures out either like how to process it or just deal with it. Like if you eat shitty food all the time, your body's gonna like yeah, yeah, yeah. handle it in a way. But yeah. just but if if you're if you're eating all organic uh, vegetables and stuff, and, and they have and a Big Mac on Friday night, your body's gonna be like, "What yeah, the like fuck are you doing?" Train to shit down. Yeah, it's just like how is eats healthy and then he goes to the draft and he's just like, "I've been shitting for thirty six hours." Like, yeah, yeah don't eat don't like an don't, don't out shitting on the I on the cut podcast. That out. <laughs> don't don't cut it out. Can you bleep his name? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's way funnier. Um, but it's funny. Every year he complains about, like, I've been in the bathroom since I left. It's just like. Yeah, because he, like, has you, a because he has you, a pizza for the first time. You know what you're in, doing. In six months. It's like, yeah, my I've prepped my stomach by eating shit for for my entire <laughs> life. Okay, so let's, let's get back to this stuff. Um, Freud would have a field day with this. Yeah, so uh, t- he's having this clean shit and obsessing over clean shit yeah. while also in some ways, like, reliving the traumatic shits. Yeah. Through, through 
the compulsive shitting. He's like created a return to the infantile state. Um, is that about? Is that about? Is that control? Right. That's like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so he creates like a quote unquote anal adult. Right, like, because when when Freud talks about like the anal yeah. the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. anal states, which we talked about, was I guess we talked about that. Part yeah, yeah, we, Chicago yeah, episode, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the hyper specific focus on everything around him is a result of uh, the traumatic anal stage, um, where he can't make decisions about his novel because his disordered thinking is the result of reliving and relitigating the anal stage of his infancy. So I think like there is like a really kind of complex Freudian take on this novel where it's like. You know, the novel is kind of about shitting. I don't want to deprive or undersell Jordan Cash or the novelist in that. Is that something that you think he intended? No, or you no, think no, that no, 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 no. Listen, this stuff, literary criticism, is never, ever, ever about author intent. It's about what you, yeah, which is why I liked taking English classes in high school. It's like you can make up whatever nonsense you want as long as you can justify it. If you, yeah, it's about, because, because like Jordan Castro whatever he uh whatever he thought he was writing um he his writing has still filtered through a culture and it's still filtered through freudian culture that he has been bombarded with through his whole life right mm-hmm. this idea of like all of this stuff um and freud might be bullshit right like a lot of a lot of like uh clinical therapists and shit i think freud think, think that freud is nonsense yeah um but like he's he was so important to culture that the, these ideas about shitting and these ideas about phallic symbols and yonic symbols and our relationships to our parents like regardless of whether or not that stuff psychologically has impacted us individually it has impacted literature because it's been part of the culture for so long so i think when people write it makes its way into the fiction itself so you know was Jordan Castro thinking about the anal traumatic stage in, in, in Freud when he was writing about himself shitting and the disordered thinking that results from reliving past traumas? Probably not. Right. Um, is is it still like a, a valuable lens through which you can you can uh, read this stuff? Yeah, I think so. And am I like kind of partially full of shit because I don't know that much about Freud? Yeah, that too. Like that's definitely part of it as well, because I'm just like sort of freestyling this. I am not a Freudian scholar. I know very little about this stuff. Wanna call Matt? Y- yeah, call Matt. Let's see if he's up for this. Hello. Hello. Hi. Joey? You're, you're on Hello, you're on how to win the lottery or what we call back in the bathroom oh shit i thought you guys had uh, cut my segment no we we uh we felt we we just feel guilty bothering you and so we haven't been calling but we figured it's a different day of the week different time figured you might be available so we give you a call and we know that you're not on vacation right now yeah i just i literally just got in the car you have to edit this part out but i just stole so much shit <laughs> I don't think we should edit that part. I'll out. just leave some sele- like, selective words there. Like I, like I stole the amount I was gonna steal, and then as I was leaving, I realized that I accidentally stole a huge thing of diapers, which is like total score. I think, I think, look, like I think diapers are one of the most okay things to steal. Oh yeah, the government should absolutely send parents diapers. Yeah. So yeah, no, if I'm steal, steal away. 
All right, hold on. Don't talk for a second. I'm going to text you a cover of this book, and we're going to see what you think about it. We're reading a book. We just read a book called The Novelist by Jordan Castro. Dumb name. (laughs) You should have a picture coming into your phone any minute now. All right, so yeah, add to my law-breaking, I will be texting while driving on top of it. I'll be, I'll be texting while driving with a trunk full of stolen goods. You're really so, making this hard for me to edit. What do you want me to edit out? <laughs> preview for Bob's segment at the end. A crime-centric episode, issue of, uh, episode of, uh, what are you calling it now? Back from the bathroom? Uh, well, that's, that's the thing with the podcast, but we're calling it, we don't have a, seg- we have a theme song for you, we don't have like, a, oh no. It's Judge a Book by its cover with the Honorable Judge Matt Erdley. Yeah. Yeah. And your other judge, Violet, who's not in the car with you, I'm assuming. She's not. All right, I'm actually going to pull over. Look at you obeying the law. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I keep myself alive here. I don't want you to so die, but like, if you died on air, that would be great ratings for us. No, don't. Come on. I'm just, I don't, please don't die. Yeah, I mean, a lot... It, You'd have to, if this was live, then maybe, but if you didn't edit that out, you'd be a fucking psychopath. <laughs> well, Bob gave me a, a command this this episode, don't edit. Yeah. <laughs> don't edit anything. Whoops. It would be very disingenuous for me to not edit, then edit out your death. All right. So I was at first going to ask if this, if this was like period accurate graphic design, and I could see that there's a laptop in there, so I know it's not. And it's very retro style. Um, I can't pull the name of that typeface off the top of my head, that font. But Yeah, the curly Q like on the it. T really threw me for it's a loop. Nice, but it's all... Yeah, I mean, it's a little, like, uh, embellishment. It looks very 70s. Totally. And the color palette, too. And, uh, like, th- this particular font is very popular right now. You'll see it all over the place. There's, there's a couple web versions of it, so you'll see a lot of this in, like, Web banners and stuff. That seventies kind of curved and really um, pronounced like serif type thing, like a thick, thick, thick parts and thin, thin parts. Is that just sort of nostalgia? Because I feel like I've seen a lot of not to detract from this conversation, but I feel like I've seen a lot of brands. Like I remember, like McDonald's in the last like six months. This whole like all of our packages are, like from the seventies. Is that just like us wanting to go back to a simpler time, or is there something more to that? Like is that is the font indicative of that as well? There's like a Baroque quality to it because for the last wave was very like slab oriented fonts like Gotham, which you'll, you'll know as the Obama font and like uh, Futura was ushered in in a big way with uh, Wes Anderson. Mm. Like those, if you could picture those fonts in your head, they're, they're sans serif and everything was very clean and, and you know, for the prior 15, 20 years graphic design, it was all about simplicity. You remember, like brands were like stripping away all, ex- all excessive like pieces of design and, and like reducing everything to a flat, you know, one thickness stroke icon. That was like super popular for a long time. Um, now, it, within the last five years or so, you're seeing. Like, I think I used the word baroque already, but like going into some more indulgent stuff when it comes to design. Not that this is even really reflective of that, but like this, the popularity of this font has to do with, it's like a, it's like a microcosm of, of our collective taste to be a little bit more 
enhancing the stuff. Yeah, like we, we moved to modernism and now we're sort of maybe not moving away, but we're shifting what we do. Yeah, and, 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 and you'll see it used a lot where like it's still, it's like a busy version of clean. Like you'll see a serif font on like a mostly solid background, but there'll be some like transparency, uh, you know, images and textures and stuff and gradients like neons and colors like that. Like, so there's a, there's a kind of an interesting balance happening now. That's again, not really what's happening on this cover, which is what we're supposed to be talking about. This is like straight up, uh, like, um, nostalgic reproduction style. And, you know, I don't know what the storyline is. The trees look like a prison cell. Either way, like, I pictured a, a novel called The Novelist to be maybe more lighthearted looking than this. This this makes it seem a little uh, serious, I guess. Yeah, I guess it is. It is. It is. I think a fairly serious book. Um, I do you think that it's it's considering like the nostalgia. I think I'm, this is a leading question, but cons- <laughs> considering the nostalgia and and like the retro view, and then including the laptop in it, is like is it an ironic cover? I, I think what's the irony is in how, what they're putting. It says the novelist, a novel. Like mm. you don't need to put like that, that's supposed to be a joke, I guess, right? For sure, yeah. I, I know a lot of books say a novel on the cover, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Like, why do they do that? So you know that it's a novel. Uh, I guess to distinguish between uh, uh, fiction, nonfiction, and and like short story, uh, collections, short story and collections and things like that. Something that you could probably achieve by opening. <laughs> but we are talking about covers so makes sense but yeah like uh it's all right i'm not crazy about it if it, i think the, the the big question we ask is if you were walking by this in a bookstore would this make you stop and want to figure out what the novel's about or you're like this isn't for me or just like initial impressions like i get you've, you've given like what you think of like the actual design but like as a consumer does this work for you if you don't know what it's about does it draw you in yeah, no not really I mean, look at the image. It's like it's barring you from seeing what's happening there, really. Okay. And like, I also am not a fan of all the white space around it, considering how busy the image is, and even the, even like the, the the image is is flat and simple, but it's still very busy, and so like it makes I don't know, sets me somewhat ill at ease to look at. Uh, would you steal this novel? No, I have enough books in the house. <laughs> do you have a guess? I think you probably, you narrowed it down based on like, you know, how you described it. When do you think this novel came out? I would guess uh, in the last five years or so. Yeah, it came out like three months ago. Okay. Yeah. And going back to your point about that, like, embellished serif on the T, that, that is bothering me the more I look at it. It, it, it almost like looks like it looks like an apostrophe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's like it's uh, gonna say the novelists or something. Because I like the I like the flare, the similar kind of flare on the J in his name at the bottom, but the T does not work for me. It just it's it's flared. It's like a hat on a hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a half a glyph or something. Color the color palette and the name Jordan Castro makes me think of one time Astro is catcher Jason Castro. And, <laughs> uh, I guess I don't really have too many feelings about him. I did own him once in our fantasy league, so plus one. <laughs> All right, I just pulled up to my kids' a lemonade stand. Oh, so, uh, I gotta run. I thought you were pulled over. 
Yeah, you, you got back on the road. <laughs> once I once I once I studied the image, I, I had it in my mind. All right. I was able to make it the rest of the way home. Well, thank you for joining the podcast once again. Enjoy that lemonade. Yeah, buy some lemonade for me, Thanks man. For, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Bye, Matt. Bye. So happy that he answered and that we got that that take on. You want to read Meg's email? Yeah, get get to it. The egg emailed us. If you want to email in lottery at cageclub.me, either about the book we're reading this episode that you're listening to now, another book that we've already read. If you look in the description of this episode, a book that we have coming up, whatever you want to write in about, lottery at cageclub.me. Maybe not a book we're going to read because by that point, we might not, we might not have read it yet. Like if Meg wrote in her reaction to Snow Crash, be like, I, we can't talk about this now. No, that's fine. But we'll just talk you know, right we'll about it whenever it. you want. That's we'll true. save it. Yeah. Wow, I'm dumb. Pre-tape Colin show. Meg's reaction to the novelist. This novel grew on me as I read it. It was a little hard to get in the flow of reading it at first, but I guess that tonally makes sense, since at first the narrator is having trouble beginning his work. I liked how real it felt. It reminded me of procrastinating with social media in undergrad and grad school. I also appreciated the weird, concrete details of his day. This book felt like it excelled in making the ordinary the extraordinary. Interesting. The fact that there were several pages devoted to pooping was very funny and relatable. <laughs> I also liked this, quote, jerk store moment with the, quote, communist gallerist. Yeah, right. At times, this novel felt like it was acting as a, quote, defense of Jordan Castro, but I know nothing about him, so it's impossible for me to tell if it was something tongue-in-cheek or something more earnest. Um, no, I think I think it's I, – I, I think it's 100% tongue-in-cheek. Right. He's he's like because there's a part where he talks about Jordan Castro being like very attractive. Right. And how interesting Jordan Castro's tweets are. He's and got stuff the best like takes. That. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, Jordan Castro's a handsome dude. Yeah. Uh, I haven't I haven't looked at his Twitter, but like if you're writing about how handsome you you are and how like your tweets are the best tweets. And then it's like that. I, I, he's he's doing it's it. one of two extremes. Right. It's either like you're, you're making fun of yourself kind of or. Your former president. No, he's, yeah, he's he's doing a joke. I think that I, I we didn't talk about it that much, but I think that doubling of there being a Jordan Castro that exists in the world of the novel is one of the more interesting things about the novel. To me, itself. it almost felt like aspirational in a way, like being successful enough to have multiple novels and being like a lightning rod for controversy, like being someone that people care enough about. Yeah, that literally the act of associating of someone associating with you simply by following you is enough to, like, generate controversy. Like, that feels like a level of success that maybe is not something you want to strive for, but means, like, you've made it. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Egg says my favorite part of the novel was the narrator ranting about how much he hated that guy, Eric. All in all, the novel was okay. Well, she, the, the the email, I think, indicates that she likes the novel more than just thinking that it's okay. Yeah. But, um... I will say that it read very fast. She said she had a hard time getting into it. I jumped into it right away. I blew through this. I think I read it in two sittings. Me too. Yeah. I just did one night and then the next morning. It's very it was, quick. Yeah. Thank you, Egg. I'm trying to think if I have other things to say. I kind of wish that there was more with the girlfriend or the dog. Like, even, like, a scene, I get why there's not. Not not as much the dog, but the girlfriend. Also, who gets to sleep until 1030 or whatever? That's I crazy. used to sleep till 1030 all the fucking time. I know. 
all the time. I don't, I don't anymore because I'm trying to train myself to, to wake up early now. But like when you're an adjunct and you were like, sometimes my classes, I wouldn't have any class for the day until six o'clock. Right. And my earliest class would be at two. So it's like, I could sleep until one if I wanted to sometimes. Sure. Uh, an interesting thing. Okay. Here's, here's something that I don't know if this is a criticism. I don't know what it is. Um, I think, I think that the character Lee in this novel is maybe supposed to be Tao Lin or like an approximation of Tao Lin. I don't remember the name Lee. Who is who's Lee? Lee is the guy that he's the, the successful novelist that he keeps emailing about shitting. And, and oh, Lee is emailing right, right, right. about shitting. And then he emails We're him. We're at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And then he emails him to say, hey, I'm writing this novel where I'm shit talking. Oh, because it's L-I. It's like he dropped the letter. And yeah. Just, yeah I'm, okay. I'm shit talking uh, Eric and like, you know, uh, again, I'm going to avoid using the term alt-lit. Um, and by mentioning it, I haven't av- avoided using it. Um, but there's a whole like solar system of novelists, the initially most popular of which, and still maybe the most popular of of which, and the one that like brought a lot of this stuff to the mainstream is Taolin. Mm-hmm. And I see his fingerprints in everything that like basically all of these people write like in even in phrases that they use like over and over again you you, uh uh jordan castro in here uses like grinning he says like i grinned and while while looking at the screen i grinned and it's like that's a phrase that taolin uses a lot and grinning is not something i don't think of do you do you ever say that you grinned at something or that some do you ever describe someone as having grinned there's something sinister about it there's something i also think like going back to like sixth grade you remember were you ever taught like set is dead do you remember no. that? Do you know that? It was a thing that, like, now you just you just say said because that's like the simplest way to get to it. But I think it's like when when te- when when they're trying to teach you to be a better writer, they're like, there's so many words that you can say instead of said. Like he offered, he he whatever. But I that's honestly the worst writing advice that I've ever heard in my life. It was 1999. Yeah, I, and I I get it. You're trying to get kids to write differently, but but the I but. <sighs> Just say said. Just say said. Well, now I know. Yeah, I know. But like, the the, the point of me bringing this up, not to make you, not to rile your feathers, uh-huh. but it's like, grinned is not a word that like we were taught. Like, it's because that's not like a. I guess he's not. He's not saying a thing. He's grinning. He's. It's just an act. Maybe that doesn't really make sense. But well, like, but I, I. But I. I don't think that's a common thing that people. Yeah. Use in writing. And then, and then you see it come up also. I, I'm not sure it shows up so much in this book, but there's the term neutral facial expression that shows up a lot in Tao Lin and in, in like the people that are in his orbit. Um, and and also like people saying things to themselves, like I'm so fucked and things like that. This like uh, in, internal monologue that externalizes itself. But the thing is that these people like oftentimes sound very similar to each other. Um, and I think it's because I, I don't I, I don't know if they're all friends or not. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. But like, you know, when I'm in uh, a group chat or something, I end up talking a little bit more like it's the behaviorism that Levin was talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. You end up sort of uh, picking words up and stuff. And maybe when you read novels like that same thing happens, you start using the same and all these people are in, are in this orbit. So they use the same sort of language. But it's something that like every time I hear grinned or and it's like Talon doesn't own the word grinned. Um, or neutral facial expression, or I'm so fucked. But, like, these things, like, bring me directly to his work, which is, like, intertextual in a way. And I don't know if that enhances the work of the people who are who are using that similar thing, or if it diminishes the work. Because 
I can think of people. There was a time when Hunter S. Thompson was incredibly popular. Like, you know, a resurgence of Hunter S. Thompson was incredibly popular. And I remember people started trying to talk like him and like use words that he used and even write like he used. And it was so fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Like, I can't like, but like, I don't think this is embarrassing because it does more read like just like this is the natural use of vocabulary that exists within a circle. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't I don't like have have a criticism here necessarily, but other than to say that it creates a weird intertextual bond between a bunch of different novels which use very similar language to describe like the modern experience of being online and being young and being probably American, etc. One thing that I noticed that I forgot isn't here a handful of times until you brought that up, and I'm wondering if it's something that like because it felt I'd never seen it in writing in like a novel, but it felt very natural and organic and I knew exactly what it meant and what it signified. And I'm wondering if it's something that like Talon and those group of authors use or if it's just online culture in general. But in here, in addition to like the I'm so fucked, he just like writes F like, f- oh like yeah, F. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like people say, like, I understand what that means. Like it's just like, yeah. it's usually in text. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that I've seen that. Because uh... it, like it's, it's almost like it's, it's a nice shorthand in a way. Yeah. We're just like, I, like, you're flustered, but you're also feeling like you're fucked and just like, uh-huh. oh, this sucks and like, F my yeah, life yeah. or whatever, right? So, but I never seen that. Like, you, know, you never saw that in, like, in. So when you read that, like when, when you read that, you were like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm in. I get that. That's, that's great. Yes. Cool. Yeah. I like that too. Because it's more than just like the letter F. Like, is that would be something similar, but I think this is like a, like, but like more yeah. negative, more flustered, more just like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Um, I so I, uh, you were a little bit down on this novel. I really liked this novel, and uh, there were criticisms that I had. But you know, I think just because like so much of what I enjoy about narrative is one of two things, and neither of is really in here. It's either dialogue or action. Yeah, and this is a basically an internal monologue of three hours of a guy doing nothing. I did. I did text you at one point saying, "I don't need this guy to describe to me what the safari icon looks yeah. like." <laughs> Like, come on, that's, there's some we're, we're that, overkilling like, the maximalism here a little bit. Right. We're like, there's, there's a, there's a benefit to like, you don't want to like trust your audience too much where like you talk so inside baseball about like the way that Twitter operates that like, and like sub Twitter or whatever, like where you scare people off. Like, I don't know. I don't, I've never been like, I don't know what this means. Yeah. But also, like you said, no one, everybody knows roughly what this, it's a compass. Yeah, right. And if not, the like, white it doesn't the matter. It, like, right. yeah, if not, it doesn't matter what it looks like. This is something that we sort of talked about with Levin when I asked him about adaptation. He wrote, like, or he said that he he kind of writes to not make it adaptable or whatever. Like, this is something that could kind of only exist in writing. I saw it when I, when I was looking at it on Goodreads. I saw someone that was like, I, it was like a direct appeal. They were like, Jordan Castro, give me the rights. I want to make this into a movie. And I was just like, are you fucking crazy? That would be the most boring movie well, I, in I, the world. I think there are certain movies. Like, did you see with our girl Ruth, the assistant with Julie Garner? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, that's a movie where, like, very little happens. Like, right, I think but it, that's playing on the tension right. of, of an eventual conflict and uh, also playing into the cultural sensitivities of that exact moment. Yeah. Like, this is almost like... And I'm not trying to sell this as like a – I'm not trying to undercut what this novel does, but I feel like this would be better adapted. And I think it's also just like a testament to like what what writing can do that like visual media can't. is like almost like a vine, like a guy just like opens his – Yeah, yeah. Opens his book and just like, 
gotta go to Twitter or whatever. Like it's just like it's like a joke. It's like oh yeah, I'm, I'm there too, man. And then you just scroll by. I was thinking uh, six episode miniseries, hour long episodes, probably written in, by David Simon. A two and a half hour finale, like the Stranger Things finale. Yeah, it ends up being With secretly Bur- about the war on drugs in Baltimore, and like and the narrator's played by Bernthal, probably. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, Bernthal. Bernthal's good, or maybe <laughs> Dave Batista. <laughs> Bernthal can play the t- the the T. He can play the kettle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep can, reading. Yeah, Bernthal can play anything. Um, well, today I had two two things before. Number one, thank you, Joey, for editing for being for being the guy that does all the work. I genuinely don't know how thing. to edit that Matt part, but we'll figure it um, out. No, don't worry about it. You don't. I don't think you have to edit it at all. Blank. You can you can bleep out some of the stuff, but uh, yeah, I think it's fine. Um, and secondly. Uh, I think the crime, I think a good crime is stealing diapers. You should steal diapers. You should steal socks. And if you steal socks, you should donate them to uh, uh, homeless or unhoused people because they they, need, they always need socks and they always need diapers um, and they always need underwear. So um, go do that. Be a good citizen. Uh, steal, steal, steal. Steal.